Welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast, a podcast focused on optimizing health and performance through a low carb lifestyle. Every episode will bring you a step closer to living an amazing low carb life. Come join us for this exciting journey. And here is your low carb leader and host, Dan Perryman. Hello, and welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Perryman, and you have joined me for episode 44. You may notice that this episode, part two of Perry Marshall's interview, has come out a few days early, and that is because I am heading out today to Paleo FX in Austin, Texas. It's an awesome conference that has international speakers there, many that you have heard of, such as Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf. I'm actually going a day early so I can attend Health Entrepreneur FX, which is a day-long smaller group session with some of the leading speakers and health entrepreneurs in the country. That starts on Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is Paleo FX. I attended a couple years ago with my son, and it's a pretty awesome conference. So anyway, it's just easier to publish this before I go, then I don't have to worry about it. And for those that have been waiting for part two of Perry's interview, you get it a few days early. So I hope to bring back a bunch of knowledge and learnings from Paleo FX, and I look forward to sharing them with you. As a reminder, check out my social media sites. I'm at thelowcarbleader.com with links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would ask you to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes if you have an iPhone or Stitcher Radio if you have an Android or non-iPhone. Also, the podcast is available on Google Play. All right, now on to part two with Perry Marshall. Since you discovered all this, how has it changed your approach toward living, nutrition, fitness, well-being? Uh, I'm, I'm curious if it really changed your direction. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you several um, parts of this. So one of them is, is I've realized, you know, my body really is intelligent. Every cell is intelligent. Now, I can't define exactly what that is. Like, you know, do my cells, you know, say their prayers before bedtime and brush their teeth at night? Like, I, I don't know about that. But like when, when musicians and athletes talk about muscle memory, that is a real thing. Okay. Or for example, like your doctor tells you, you have to finish these antibiotics. If you don't kill them dead, they're going to come back and they're going to be super bugs. Well, that's because those bacteria, they're not just passively replicating and every now and then one gets an advantageous trait by accident. No, they are actively seeking. They're trying stuff all the time. This changed my whole conception of business and advertising because I started saying, well, you know, what if these little Google ads I was writing here, what if they were smart like bacteria are instead of just being these passive little things? And that's actually led to us starting a software company. We're doing some very interesting things with that. When I eat well, like I'm a lot more in tune with my body than I was 10 years ago. When I eat well, I can feel my body thanking me. Thank you, Perry. That was good. I feel good. If I eat cheeseburgers, I don't feel as good. You know, I remember a time I didn't pay attention to that. Um, well, you realize the level of communication that goes on inside a body 
I don't think we have any idea how much communication is going on. So I know that some people, they are aware of their bodies. Like they'll meet somebody and they'll go, well, I can't explain why, but my stomach does not like that guy. You ever had that experience? Yep. You should listen to that. It's rarely wrong. I remember a boss I had a few years ago where I can remember suppressing that gut feeling and rationalizing it away. Oh, did we pay for that? Oh, my goodness. That guy was a disaster. But he didn't start being a disaster for about two years. He was like on really good behavior. And then he went berserko. I think he had borderline personality disorder. I don't really know, but that would be my guess. <laughs> so uh, I'm telling you, um, the the world is so much more amazing than we are told. You know, this also this also really just raises huge questions like, OK, so we've got, you know, the USDA or the educational system and they make this chart like, well, OK, you're supposed to eat this much of cereals and you're supposed to eat this much of vegetables and this much of meat. Like, well, who came up with this and why? And how long ago was this? And do they have any idea? Like, there's this whole idea in medicine that we're just like a bunch of chemicals. And of course, selling you pills really plays into that very nicely, but we're not. Like we are walking information processing machines. You know what? There is more information in a one spoonful of navy bean soup than there is on the entire internet that got uploaded or downloaded all day long in one spoonful of soup. I kid you not. Yeah. Like talk us through that one. So DNA stores, every cell in your body has 750 megabytes of DNA. It's about the same amount of information as a CD, okay? That's every single cell in your body. So the simplistic view would be, well, yeah, okay, so I got seven, I, I've got a, a 10 billion copies of the same CD. Well, but no, you really don't. Why? Because each cell potentially has different epigenetic markers and signals than the one next to it. And like who even knows how many other forms of information are stored with RNAs and like there's all these other RNAs associated. And so you don't actually know how much information is stored in your body, but like I said, that thing about muscle memory is huge. And so the density of data in, in DNA is 200,000 times greater than the most efficient hard drives that human technology currently knows how to make. 200,000 times denser, okay? You're eating soup and, you know, it's got peas in it. And it's got beans and it's got lentils and it's got whatever. I mean, there's so many things going on. And when an insect starts living on a leaf or a piece of fungus starts growing there or something, all the cells next to that insect or, or fungus will change their gene expression and adapt to the immediate circumstances around them. Okay, so DNA is this constantly dynamically adapting organ of the cell. And nobody tells you this in the pop culture. But it's all true. And my book, Evolution 2.0, explains an awful lot of, of this. And so I think there's an entire revolution in how we understand the human body, how we understand information, how we treat disease, 
We're starting to treat disease with information-based approaches of blocking the signal pathways between cells instead of merely just dousing them with chemicals. And we need, above all, we need a lot of humility um, and a lot of respect for nature. It did not get this way accidentally. And we need, we need to have reverence for it. That is very cool. Going back to the gut health and microbiome and the symbiotic relationship, talk through that a little bit. Cause I've, I just heard that that is the, the biggest area of research now everywhere around the microbiome, but I find it just amazing that the question is who's the host, you know, because we, oh, have, we, yes. we have so much bacteria and how it <laughs> evolves. And I've read that if you eat a certain type of food, say carbohydrates, that bacteria will adapt that and actually send messages to your brain saying, we need more. I just, I find yes. that fascinating. Okay. So um, the simple ex example of symbiosis and microbiomes is look at your window. If, if there's a blade of grass, if there's a tree, if it's green, it's green because all those cells, well, every, every kid learns in biology that they're chloroplasts, right? But what nobody tells you is a chloroplast is actually a blue-green algae. It is literally a blue-green algae that lives inside the leaf. That's what a chloroplast is. It has its own DNA. It reproduces independently. And the two have developed a cooperative cycle. So it's not a parasite. It's a symbiont. Okay? Now, mitochondria in your own cells are the same thing a mitochondria is an information is a oxygen processing bacteria it turns oxygen into energy and gives it to your cells it's like a starbucks in a marriott okay it's like the two, you know two businesses in a cooperation with each other well 90% of the cells in your body are symbiotic bacteria like by count so so bacteria are very small and animal cells are large so you are 10% very large plant uh, animal cells and you are 90% very small bacteria you would if your bacteria all died you would be dead in, in 10 minutes if not one minute okay in fact you might be dead in 30 seconds everything in nature is like this like when there's termites that can digest a certain kind of wood, the only reason they can digest that wood is they have bacteria in their stomachs that can do the digesting. This is everywhere. Now, in my book, I, I tell this very interesting story of how symbiogenesis theory was fiercely resisted for years by the neo-Darwinists, like the basically the people that have been in charge of evolutionary theory for the most part for the last 50 years. The Neo-Darwinists hated it because it went against everything that they taught, everything that they had been taught. Lynn Margulis pounded her way through. She was uh, a professor at the University of Massachusetts. Uh, I know her son. She was, she was married to Carl Sagan for a period of time. Very prominent scientist. She died about five years ago. She took it upon herself to popularize symbiogenesis, which first discovered in 1867. Um, the Russians had pretty much had it all figured out by the 1920s, and then it was just buried. And uh, she, she fought all kinds of bureaucracy 
Um, her first paper, which is now a very seminal paper, was rejected by 15 journals. Um, the scientific establishment is very resistant to new ideas, especially when they have philosophical implications. But if you understand symbiogenesis, your whole view of the world tilts. It's like, oh my goodness, we are all in this interactive, mutually interdependent relationship with all of nature. Nature is not sliced and diced. It is cooperative. Yeah, I agree with that completely because they refer to your gut microbiome as your second brain, which is, so you have a bacteria that is making decisions right along with you. I think that changes the way we need to view things, definitely. Well, it's, it's fractal, meaning that it's true on small scales, large scales, micro, micro, tiny, you know, nano scales. It's true on macro, macro scales. The whole earth is a single symbiotic organism. That's called the Gaia hypothesis, which, you know, we don't have time for today. But like whether you're looking at a cell inside a cell inside a cell, which is everywhere, or whether you're looking at ourselves or you're looking at the whole planet, it's all symbiotic, all of it. So Perry, got a question for you. So with your background in technology and your your theories on epigenetics, what's happening now with this latest generation with technology? How will that affect the future generations with the way the kids are using technology now? Because when I was a kid, I mean, you'd go outside and play. Now yeah. it's completely changed. So uh, yeah. uh, like your thoughts on that. Well, I have all the same heartaches as any other parent about this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So like, uh, um, it's like, you know, like the unstoppable force, right? Well, let's put it this way. I think kids are d developing some very unhealthy habits. And I rode my bike for an hour and a half this morning. I needed to be on a conference call and I put on my headphones, uh, on my Bluetooth headset and I went and rode my bike and boy, I just feel good when I do that, and I think kids should be doing that. Now, the other side of the coin is what they are doing, their bodies, their entire physiology is adapting to. And I don't think there's like a black and white right or wrong answer as to what everybody's doing. What I can tell you is it's not predictable. You don't know what the consequences will be, okay? So one of my sons plays video games all the time. He's 12. Like, that's all he wants to do. Well, I can tell you his body is naturally evolving and adapting to do that. But what you don't know is it's, it's going to have some advantages and it's going to have some disadvantages. And at this point in time, you don't know what they are. You just don't. Uh, meanwhile, you know, my other son's willing to ride bikes with me. So we go. Uh, and I and I wish I had a better answer than that, but that that's as good as I could do. Definitely unpredictable. What well, not only what the two generations from now physically will be, but technology wise. I mean, that is advancing so fast now. I was going to ask you since you've got involved with the technology, what's been your most favorite breakthrough and your least favorite breakthrough technology wise? Um, well, let, let's talk about AI for a second. Maybe the best way to answer the question is, you know, everybody talks about AI, AI, you know, there's Siri and there's Alexa and there's, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's all amazing and everything. And 
if you're in the business world, you pretty much have to embrace it just to, to just to stay up. But but I want to point out that it's all fundamentally different than biology in a really important way. So uh, so Dan, if you throw a steak on your table and you tell your dog, don't eat that steak, you look at him and he looks back at you like, oh, I want that steak. And you leave the room, your dog is going to decide whether to obey you or not. AI doesn't do that. AI is just algorithms. It just obeys rules. Okay, fundamentally different than a dog or a cat or a cell or even an algae. Now, I actually put together a technology prize, and there's a chapter about it in the book. It's called the Evolution 2.0 Prize. And we're looking for how do you get from chemicals to code? And I I, it's a, it's a $3 million prize. And I believe if that ever gets solved, the only way we're going to solve it is if we figure out what is the thing that living things have that computers don't because computers only obey rules, but minds make and break rules. Even cells make and break rules. So there is a very fundamental thing that we are missing. Now it's very exciting. If we can figure it out, it's really amazing. But if you've read any science fiction books or read any science fiction movies, it's also scary. So it's a double-edged sword. But I guess I, I would just say I think there's a lot of hubris around human technology, and we really need to be humble with nature and learn from it. Yeah, all I know is it became self-aware in The Terminator. That's all I remember. <laughs> well, right. And, and the, all those movies go a certain way. How 9000, right? Or, if yeah. you, you know... There's a reason those stories go that way. So it's it's very tantalizing and perplexing all at the same time. So like a computer system like Watson from IBM, what's your thoughts there? Because it'll have a ceiling of limitations, I would take it, right? It has a built-in ceiling. And biology doesn't have that built-in ceiling. And so we don't, we don't understand. So there's so much we don't know. I think if we can really accurately understand evolution, we'll actually figure that out. As long as we stay in the current version of evolution that everybody gets told about, uh, we're going to be stuck. We're kind of coming to the end, but what tips would you give the listeners to optimize evolution epigenetics going forward? Because I'm sure some people are listening now saying, oh my goodness, I, I shouldn't have smoked. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Or or those that are healthy are, are saying, yeah, I knew this all along, but what would be yeah. your tips to the listeners? I think, I think it's actually much simpler than a lot of people make it. I think you just need to listen to nature. I think nature will tell you exactly what you need if you just pay attention to it. I think your body will tell you what it needs if you just listen to it with a discerning ear. And I think if you, if you pay attention to what happens in your garden and what happens in your front yard and what happens with the, that plant that you're growing in your office. I think mostly we just ignore nature. Um, and that's our detriment. It's our loss. It's a matter of respect. Yeah. I really like the concept of communication. If you view it as kind of two-way communication, that really does put a different spin on it. The communication goes every direction. It's really mind boggling. And, and, you know, it's so beyond what technology does that we we don't even have language for it. What are you working on now? What's uh, what do you see over the next five, 10 years in your journey of research? What I'm working on right now is the Evolution 2.0 prize. So 
if you go to naturalcode.org, um, we have a specification for what we're looking for. We want to solve chemicals to code. There's a very fundamental question is, how do you get communication from matter? Well, nobody knows the answer. Nobody's ever figured this out. I think it's the biggest unsolved question in science because you can't have DNA, you can't have cells, you can't have replication, you can't have anything if you don't have information. And you need digital information, digital code in order to generate life. Maybe it's literally a miracle for God. I mean, I don't know. But what I've done is I've put together a private equity investment group and we're we're seeking an answer to this question. Well, a very interesting thing has developed. We've had a number of submissions, and you can go to the site. There's a link where you can see them. But then we started getting some else. We started getting people saying, well, we didn't solve that, but I did solve this other thing. And do you think this would be interesting? And, well, we think some of these are really interesting. Um, and none of them are public at this point. But what I really think we've created here is um, also, uh, sort of kind of a, a shark tank for biological concepts and innovations. And I am really interested in this. I think this is going to take on a life of its own. And I also believe, I also believe that technology prizes are a very good way to solve problems that traditional academia hasn't been able to solve. That's a big prize. Yeah, well, it is. And, and we're actually going to be raising the amounts uh, in the future. Um, but it's a good start. And, um, you know, there's there's a really great story. Not everybody's heard this story. About 20 years ago, Peter Diamandis, he just had this bee in his bonnet uh, it, about spaceflight. And he says, uh, I don't think we need governments to build space programs. I think private industry could do it better faster, cheaper, but we, we got to get this started. Well, he had learned that the reason Charles Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic was because there was a $25,000 prize <laughs> and he needed the money. Uh, this is why he did it. And, and so he said, well, you know what? Let's put together a prize. And so he, uh, he went and he got some backers and he put together a $10 million prize for a spaceship that would fly twice in two weeks, a reusable spacecraft that had to be built by a private firm, not a government. And 10 years later, Paul Allen, who made his fortune in Microsoft, put together a team and they won the prize. And this spawned the XPRIZE Foundation, which um, now has prizes for a whole bunch of things. This has become a eh, somewhat it's not totally normal, but certainly a widely accepted way of solving difficult, seemingly intractable problems. And um, and so, like, I, I think we need to use that kind of approach to solve some of the questions that are facing us in biology and medicine. I was in Dubai uh, pitching investors uh, last year, and this guy he watched my presentation and, and he goes, he goes, I totally get what you're doing. I think this is fascinating. And he says, I know who's going to win this. And I go, what? And he goes, well, I sort of know who's going to win this. He goes, you know, it's not going to be like some white guy wearing a lab, lab coat. He goes, I, I don't think it's going to be anybody in traditional academia. He goes, 
I think it's going to be like some kid who's nine years old in Montessori school and they're like in Italy or Sweden or something. And they've had a non-traditional education and they're like, well, how come you just don't do it like this? And everybody goes, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I listened to him and I thought, I'll be darned. I, I think he's probably right. You know, so this is why we're putting this out there. And, you know, I, I really do want it to be solved. And, you know, look, I, I think we live in an absolutely spectacular, amazing universe that most people take for granted. And it's time for us to stop taking it for granted and kind of start over. And and that's what Evolution 2.0 is about. So I hope people will read it and be inspired to do something great. Yeah, that's a great story. I think that's a great approach, a financial reward for research. I think, I mean, personally, that's, right. that's what's going to incentivize people. So how can people get a hold of you, read your books? Uh, you're definitely on Amazon. I saw that and yep. your website. So take us through the different sources. Yeah, so CosmicFingerprints.com is my website for Evolution 2.0, and you can get three free chapters of the book on the homepage. You can sign up um, and, and get those. Um, there's also a link to our Facebook page, and we post a lot of interesting things there. Um, and you can get Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design on Amazon. It's also in Kindle and Audible. So if you're an audio book person, uh, we have that version too. If you, if you read the Amazon reviews, you'll see a lot of people saying, wow, why didn't anybody tell me this before? Uh, that's, that's one thing that comes up a lot. And another one is, boy, I, I do not look at the hand at the end of my arm the same way that I used to. I, I see it in this completely new way. I see life in a new way. And, and you also... Um, get a lot of people saying, wow, you know, there's no need for science and religion to be at a war with each other. And, uh, you know, that's one of my ambitions is, is there's that war got invented about 150 years ago and it's totally fallacious. Uh, there, there's no reason for faith and science to be enemies. They can be friends. They were before that. And, you know, after I've lived, if I have anything to say about it, they, they will live peacefully together after as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I'm uh, training my epigenetics to not read and to only listen to audiobooks. So uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, you have it out on uh, Audible. So, Well, hey, this has been a fun interview. I, I really appreciate you bringing me on and doing sort of, I think, an unorthodox conversation. This is probably not exactly what you normally talk about, but no, not at all. And I hope, I hope everybody listening really enjoys this because there is, there's a lot to take away. And, you know, for those that may be saying, well, this really wasn't about nutrition. I would say it really is. We talked about the foundation of the importance of everything that people do. And I think that's going to yeah. create your wellness. I, I think so. So I, I'm trying to be as well as I can. And, uh, train my kids to be as well as they can and live longer and enjoy the amazing earth that, that we get to live here. in. So. yeah. And I am staring at your dog on Skype. <laughs> yes. Gracie, Gracie Lou, my, my cockapoo. So yeah. yeah, we got, we got her because, um, I wasn't really a dog person and my dog friend said, 
she will she won't bark at everybody and you know you won't have to you know take her out and exercise her every day and she she won't get grumpy if you don't do that so gracie's awesome yeah, we, yeah, we like Gracie. yeah beautiful dog so well thank you perry so much for being on the show this has been uh extremely interesting to me uh, as well and i hope everybody has learned a little bit and we will link everything to the show notes so they can find your website and go listen or read your book. Fabulous. Thank you much. Thank really you. nice to be on today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for being with us today. And we hope that you are on the road to your successful low carb lifestyle. Become a leader in your health and a leader in life. Check us out at www.thelowcarbleader.com. And remember to join Dan again next time on the Low Carb Leader Podcast.